0: Hey everyone, welcome to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and today I'm going to give you an overview of speech and language development, give you some specifics of what speech is versus language. I'm going to talk about different milestones you'll see in children in the first 24 months of age, and then I'm going to review a an article for you um, um, by Pat Cool and her colleagues that was published recently in the Proceedings for the National Academy of Sciences about how babies really practice speaking a whole lot longer before they start to really say those words. And then I have a few questions that I'm going to answer that parents often have about what parents can do to help children recognize and start learning words, talk about mother ease or baby talk. And about studies we've seen, people have given me questions about the use of touch, and a few more. And I'm going to list those in the description of the show if that's helpful for you. So let's first talk, talk about speech and language development. And let's define first what speech is versus language. They're both what we use to communicate. So this is in the big umbrella term is communication, but Speech is different from language, and that speech is, if we, we want to think about that, as the physical part of talking, the part that you're hearing right now, me moving my lips and tongue and producing the sound, the sound of communication. So there are three parts to speech. And to speech, We think of articulation, and that's physically how the sounds are made. So I'm closing my lips, I'm building pressure behind me and bursting it out to make a b sound, like the letter B might sound. And um, this is an aspect of communication that children need to develop. Um, then there's voice. So when we breathe out, our vocal folds or our vocal cords, as you might know them, vibrate, and that creates the voice. Now, you might have had laryngitis in the past. You might have heard of somebody having vocal nodules or something to that effect. Those are all types of voice disorders for people who may, um, who might scream a lot, or children who get hoarse, too, from yelling, it could be a problem for kids as well, um, that misuse or overuse of your vocal cords, or we technically call them vocal folds, um, could, could lose to your loss of voice. So voice is another part of speech. And the third aspect of speech we refer to as fluency, and that's the rhythmic uh, the rhythm of speech and you may have heard of people who stutter or stammer. The the King's Speech is a is a well-known movie that was out not too long ago and he was disfluent. He stuttered really and that's where the sounds of the words are repeated and there's hesitations to the point where it really interferes with um, effective communication. It is very natural and normal to repeat words and pause and um, Et cetera, Like I just said, um, um <laughs> that disrupted the the rhythm of my speech output. But um, and we'll have segments later on that talk to parents about how you tell if your child is um, producing speech output that is within normal limits in terms of fluency. But the point here is just to define these three aspects of speech. So again, that would be articulation where we're producing the sounds that we hear, our voice is another part of speech where our vocal folds are vibrating and producing the sound, and then there's the fluency or rhythm of speech. So again, those are the physical aspects of communication. Then there's language, and language um, is, you can think of it maybe more as the cognitive or the intellectual aspect of communication. And language is essentially a rule system. And it has different forms. It could be oral, like right now I'm talking orally and you're hearing me. It can be written where I might write something and you read it. And it can be gestural too, where somebody's talking, um, maybe somebody who's waving, somebody's smiling. Those are all kinds of gestures that communicate a message. So there's a number of components of language that children are acquiring. There are Uh, There are five main aspects. One is phonology, and so you might have heard me say in the past a phone is a a sound that we use to combine um, to create words. So, for example, the word seat, like a chair that you're sitting on, seat um, is uh, is made up of the sounds s-e-t, and those combine to create the word seat. Um, and that's the phonology, those are rules that tell, any given language has rules that tell you how certain sounds can go together to form words. Then the next level of language that children are acquiring is called morphology. And those are meaningful sound units. So, uh, to just show you briefly, when you when you say an act that has happened in the past, um, you add the ED sound, the ED. So you might have say walked or talked, and that tells you that something happened in the past. So that's made of a morpheme of the word walk and that E-descend on the end. Similarly, if there's, um, if we want to indicate that there's more than one item, in English at least, we put a S at the end, that's S. So instead of having one book, you'd have two books. So that S is meaningful. It's telling you that there's more than one item. So though that morphology... Um, is something that children are starting to develop and learn as they're exposed to their native language. The another area of language is called semantics, and that more or less means the meaning. It could be the meaning of a word, it could be meanings of sentences, and we can look more globally in terms of meanings of paragraphs, etc. So to give you an example of the meanings of a word, like the word course, for example, a course could mean a path that you take from point A to B point B. It could also be a class that you take at university or something of that nature. And so, um, again, semantics is also very tied to um, concepts and vocabulary, and children are learning all of these as, as they grow and, again, are exposed to their native language. Then we have syntax, um, which is you can think of maybe as grammar also, but essentially what syntax is are the rules that govern. How, how words are combined to make phrases and sentences that are comprehensible and, or under, understandable to others. So in English, for example, um, not to get too technical, we have a rule that says you, you tie a determiner, such as the word the, with a subject, such as let's say the word dog, with a verb and another determiner and then an object. So the dog ate the bone. That's a rule in English that lets us know how we can combine a sentence with somebody and produce it so somebody else can understand it. Again, these are things that children are learning naturally as we talk to them. Now, the last part, um, component of language, again, this rule system, are the rules of pragmatics, and these are the rules that tell us how we use language, and it could include things such as how much eye contact you make with the speaker, it might include something like the distance you stand from another speaker when you're talking, there are rules that dictate when, when and how you take turns, um, how you might transition from topic A in a conversation to topic B, so um, it, there are, again, rules that are telling you how to use language. Now in terms of general communication or general language, that also falls into two, um, I guess two categories. I like to say that communication is really a two-way street. There's language comprehension, which means what we are hearing, what we're seeing, such as a gesture, or what we're reading, if you're reading a book or um, even a sign. Um, Then there's the other part of communication, the other side of the street, which is language expression. That's what we say, what we gesture, or what we write. So What I want to do is walk you through a little bit of what we expect to see in children in terms of their communication development from a comprehension or understanding standpoint and an expression or expressive standpoint. And let's start with children who are at the zero to three month range. And let's—I'll um, tell you first about what they should be understanding, or what falls under what will we consider language comprehension, and then expression. So at the zero to three month range, we would like to see that little one making eye contact with you and attending to a speaker who's talking to them. And they should also be looking at objects for um, for short periods of time. That's showing you they're starting to comprehend what's going on in their environment. On the other side of the street, on what expression we should be seeing for them from them we should see them crying for attention we should see them vocalizing a few sounds like coos and we should also see them vocalizing to pleasure um, if you stroke them and they smile or something to that effect that's what we would see or would like to see it's a three to I'm sorry, the zero to three month range. Then at the three to six month range from a comprehension standpoint, we'd want to see that they're looking around if they hear somebody talk or if there's a noise that they're looking for where that source of the sound came from. We'd like to see them responding to their name and maybe we'd see them stopping uh, crying in response to a voice that's familiar to them. Um, Again, those are what we would expect from a, that shows us that their comprehension is developing well. In terms of what we want to see from them in terms of their development of language expression, we want to see that they are um, starting to babble a little bit and that there should be varies of intonation in their pitch depending on how maybe their feelings are changing. And especially as they start to approach that six-month range that they should interrupt people with the vocalization, kind of get their attention in a way. All right, so now we have uh, the six- to eight-month eight skill level. From what we want to see out of them in terms of comprehension, showing that they're, understanding, that they're understanding things and that's developing well, we want to see them attending to music and starting to wave by and understanding gestures, like the gesture, if you go to pick up a child, how you hold your hands down, they might put their hands up. We want to see that they're understanding that you want to pick them up when you do that. Now, from what we expect from them in terms of what their language expression skills are, we should see them vocalizing to songs that they know and perhaps trying to imitate. Again, they might be vocalizing to get your attention, um, and they should be producing about four different types of sounds. Now we have the expectations for the 10 to 12 month skill level in terms of what they comprehend or showing us that their comprehension is developing, we'd like them to perform familiar tasks when you ask them and maybe identifying two different body parts. We would also like to see them looking toward an object that they know uh, when they hear somebody mention it. We'd like to see them from an expressive point of view, jargoning, making... um, Jargon is that stage of... From when you 're moving from babbling to words, and it sounds like they 're actually talking a language, it sounds almost like a little foreign language. It has intonation as if like you would hear in a sentence with their pitch going up and down. Um, so they 're jargoning speaking their own little language of sorts with intent that it looks like they 're telling you something or asking you something that 's what we want to see at the ten to twelve month level to see that their expressive skills are on par. We would also want to see them maybe saying one or two words at this point. Uh, They don't have to be perfect in terms of how they're pronounced and it could just be a gross target of the adult model, but we'd want to see them using um, about one to two words at this point and certainly we want to see them imitating um, different sound combinations that you produce for them as well. Then at 12 months, we want to see that they understand a few familiar action words and maybe a few prepositions like putting something on the table or um, under the bed, depending on what your experience is with them. But they should start to show some comprehension of these words that indicate location of things. And we also are looking at play skills in terms of them showing us what they comprehend and understand. And we'll have a, a larger segment on what play skills are, but in terms uh, for our purposes here, we want to see them combining objects while they're playing. So that might mean they're banging a drum with a stick or something like that. And in terms of their language expression, we want to see them still jargoning and but within this jargon we want to see some words here and there that are actually actually real words. That would be nice to see at this point. And we'd like to see them starting to verbalize more in terms of them asking for something or satisfying a a want or need that they have. And um, let's see, what else? We would, let's see, okay, let's talk about 18 months and 18 months of age. And in terms of language comprehension, um, they should be able to identify a few common objects when you ask them and about about four body parts or so, I'd say, maybe more, and showing knowledge, again, of familiar verbs, something like eating or sleeping or, you know, getting dressed, things that they do a lot when you mention them and, and they, they do um, some behavior that shows you that they understand what you said. That's what we want to see around this skill level. And then in terms of what we want to see from them from an expressive standpoint, we want to really see them at 18 months using words to communicate more than they're using gestures, and we'd like to see them imitating words fairly readily. fairly readily. And in terms of how many words in their vocabulary, I'd say probably around 10 to 15 is the gross, and, uh, gross um, range, and again, um, every child is going to be different in their developmental um, abilities. What I think is important for you to keep in mind is that um, your gut is a really important is a really important informer for you. If you um, are looking at your child and you feel that they're not on par with other children their age that you see, Um, and your gut is telling you that something's not right, then um, follow your gut, I would say. I think it would be smart to do and talk with a speech-language pathologist who is an expert on communication development, on speech development and language development, and on a fair level to cognitive and intellectual development, because that's what language is. Language is a cognitive skill. And um, that's another area, actually, we'll talk about a little more in depth as we go. Um, talking more about um, memory and attention and um, organization and planning in terms of child development, Um, but it's very, very connected. It's really inextricably linked uh, to language. You can't separate them. So uh, that, in a nutshell, is what language development looks like in in that first um, few months of life. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit more now about speech development. Because you remember, we had mentioned earlier, language is more of that cognitive, intellectual part of communication, and speech is more that physical part. It's really what's what you hear. It's the sound. So let's go back to zero to three months and what we might expect from a child at that age. So um, they, what you're going to want to see in a child in terms of their speech development at zero to three months, that they're crying and their sounds... Um, Uh, They cry and they they might show you discomfort in in how they're making sounds. You might hear some isolated vowels. And a lot of what you'll see is it will also be in the back of their throat, like g or uh, um, because they're often on their back a lot, so their tongue is going to be back and kind of hitting the upper back part of their mouth. Um, And then around three months and change, you're going to see babbling patterns emerge. We have something at that three to six months um, age range what we called reduplicated babbling so those are the same sounds over and over they they reduplicate uh, ga 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 ga, ga ma, ma 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 things like that and you'll start also to see intonation patterns uh emerge so they their their pitch might go up and down as they they play with these sounds and they're trying to gain control of their articulators and then as they uh, hit the six- to eight-month range, we will also see something we call variegated babbling, and that's where the different sounds uh, will vary. They will change. So they might, ins- instead of just saying the same syllable, ga, 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 they might say da, ga, ga, da, uh, or minama, things like that where the different sounds are changing across their little babble. And around the 10 to 12 month age, we will see that um, I had mentioned, there's a lot of overlap at this point also between language and speech. So here we'll have the jargon. So again, it sounds like they're kind of speaking a language that's a foreign language. It looks like they're trying to tell you something, but you can't make out those words. They might have um, what we also think of like idiosyncratic words, so words that that are kind of just their words, like they've made up their own word to say uh, cookie. They might call it an "uti," oot, an um, but they might use that regularly, the "uti, uti, uti" for cookie, and it's their own little word for cookie. And eventually, over time, as they gain better control over their articulators, so over their lips and their tongue and their, um, their vocal folds and be, being able to coordinate all that, those sounds will start to sound more like the adult target. Meaning cookie, for example, um, and then right yeah. At around twelve months, we'll start to see more adult-like words emerging. And again, we at this age too, we really want to see them using words a little bit more than vocalizations or a gesture. And I wanted to point out what the difference is between a vocalization and a verbalization. A vocalization really is just a sound that doesn't have a language meaning; doesn't have that semantic. Um, or that phonological structure, that, that those sound structures from the words, uh, from the language, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, versus a verbalization that really looks a little bit more like that adult target. <coughs> so, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and then, let's see, what else do we want to be seeing here? And then I guess around the 18 to 24 month age is where we want to start seeing maybe two word, two-word utterances uh, starting to emerge. So now I want to talk to you about different things that you can do to foster their cognitive linguistic development. One of the things I want to point out um, at the outset is to remember that all the activities should really match your child's level of understanding and also their motor skills or their physical skills, and you should tailor it. Um, to them. You want to be just a little bit more at a, presenting things at a level that's slightly more difficult than they could do by themselves. So one of the biggest things that you can do to help your child develop their cognitive language skills is just to talk to them as you interact with them. Name things that are in your environment. Name things that you're doing and bring their attention to whether it's an object or an action or, or people you see. That's the that's probably the biggest and the best thing that you can do. Remember that you always want to be a good model. You're, and as I said, you're using language that's maybe just one step above what, they, what their output level is. So um, I'll give you an example. So if your child drops his or her cup and they're, um, they're not saying any words yet, you might just say, down, or fell down. Um, if they're at the one-word level. If they're speaking in uh, one to two words, you might say cup fell down um, or Jacob's cup fell down. Those are all little increments at which you can basically say the same thing when um, an event happens. Another thing you can do is repeat. Repeat um, what you say and to repeat activities. I've said before, if you've listened in children love redundancy they like to do the same things over and over the same songs the same books and it's really it's a it's a it's a, it's a way we learn it's a way we learn and um, so you can repeat what you say as well as as your activities so um, let's see respond responding is something you can do. Respond to your child's output as they babble, as they coo or gurgle, or they say a word or a partial word or a phrase. Repeat what they do and then expand on it. Remember I said do things a little bit more difficult than what they're doing on their own. So if if your little one says ball, you could say big ball or Connor's ball or something like that or fun ball. That's the expansion upon what they're doing. And then another thing you can do, which is probably, aside from talking, the, the next really, really big thing is reading. No matter how old your child is, it's still it's a wonderful way to engage with them. You're developing a nice bond with them. It's a nice way to spend time with them. And you are enriching their cognitive skills and their language skills. And even if a child... um isn't even fully setting up. If you could have the book in their hands and just have them touching it, that tactile feedback is really nice. And as I had mentioned earlier, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what some research has shown in terms of touch and children's ability to learn words and and concepts. So, um, as I was saying, reading, from simple picture books, even single photos, going through photos on a page or photographs that you have and pointing to the people and the items there and naming them could be really nice. And as they get older, I encourage parents maybe to take a Sharpie or something and write um, on the photo the, the person's name or the name of the item so they can start to associate those sounds with the printed letters, and that's a a big part of helping them read later in life. Uh, Visit, 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 take trips. New places, um, and even familiar places. Again, redundancy is important, so those trips to the supermarket that you might make every few days, it's always an opportunity for children to learn. You could be naming items, and right, if they learn the name of a certain grocery item, You can expand and add more words to how you describe it so they learn more about it, what it looks like, what it smells like, what it's used for. Those are all things, all ways you can expand Um, and just keep talking about what you're doing, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you may be even feeling and smelling. All those kinds of things are things you can do. Um, And what's nice, too, you can review when you get home, maybe, if you go visit grandma after or um, you want to tell siblings when you get home, re- reiterate what you did and tell them um, what you saw, what you heard, what you felt, etc. Okay. So another big thing is our songs and singing. Um, reciting nursery rhymes um, fall into this also. Playing um, patty cake and things of that nature. That's Those are really wonderful things that you can do to help foster their development, and, and your relationship with them, too, because you're interacting in a very pleasant and fun way. Um, and so along with that, too, is just like simple play, the peek the patty cake, uh, all are really, really wonderful. And in terms of play, um, there's toys. Um, some toys are, are better than others, <laughs> and we'll have sections on that, too, down the road on other shows. But um, when you're thinking of younger children and toddlers, the toys that I like are the realistic toys. Um, so those are the toys that look real. It looks like a real phone or a real um, a vacuum cleaner or something like that. So they represent things that you use in daily life. And what's nice about that is that they see those in daily life. They see you using them. So you, they can spend energy listening to what you're saying about them because they understand what it's for. So, um, again, in order to learn, you have to attend to something. And there's only so many things you can attend to at one time. So if you're using a realistic toy and they already understand how to use it, they won't have to spend their energy on figuring out how to use it because they know that. They can spend their energy listening to what you say and how you say it. And thinking about it in that regard, so that's why I like realistic toys with those younger ones and you can you can encourage them to imitate you um, you can um, yeah having them imitate you it's also really nice too and so there's another type of toy that I think with the older toddlers are nice too, and these are representational toys so They're usually, um, they stand, they represent something. They're not like the actual thing where the realistic toy is supposed to be like the actual object. So some examples of representational toys might be a dollhouse or a play garage or those smaller figurines. And what I like about these toys is that you can, again, act out familiar scenes. You can maybe have dinner with your family in the dollhouse or feed the animals on the farm, but you can act out familiar scenes, and you're doing things in sequence. You're doing things in steps that helps them also uh, organize themselves, which is really nice. And um, so what else can I say about representational toys? But I, I think those, uh, doing things in order and helping them organize themselves um, can really be nice as you're also embellishing the play experience with you describing what's going on and encouraging them maybe to name and describe things as well. But from a from a play perspective, the other thing I really like is... Um, multi-sensory experiences, so that's where they're feeling and hearing and touching and moving um, can also be really nice. I love, um, and it can also be very calming, too. If you think about adults, we can go get a massage if we're tired or or stressed. Kids don't get to go have massage to calm down, so sometimes uh, a sensory experience can be very calming. Like um, I like to have a bin that's full of dry rice or maybe beans, um, and depending on, on how messy or not you want your house to get, you could also fill a bin with sand or water, and have them just dump and fill, dump and fill. There's so many really wonderful things they're learning. They're filling the empty cup in their hand, and then they fill it up with rice, and then they feel that it's heavier, and so those are concepts that you can talk about, light and heavy or empty and full or more, you can put some rice in the cup and then you can say more rice and put another scoop in. And say more rice and put another scoop in. So they're learning that concept of more. Um, so again, we're going to have another episode that talks more about things that you can do with play. But um but so here are just some again some quick things you can do. And of course that also overlaps with the multisensory one of the best things you can do is have an arts and crafts center where they have crayons and paint uh, paint and paste and paper, um, where they could just create, where they get to feel, it's a way that they can express themselves before they might have the words to express it. Um, it's a nice, there's things called process art and product art. Um, so product art, there's a specific product that you're you're intending to have at the end of the activity versus process art where you just let them freely go and explore. There's benefits to both. And for me, um, in either case, the adult can be there talking about what the child is doing and what the adult is doing. And in terms of a product, where you're going to have a finished product, Product having the, um, those steps that you go through help them with their organizational skills. So I like that, too. And I guess as a final uh, thought in terms of ways you can foster cognitive linguistic development or their this is their intellect, this is their language and communication skills is encourage them to repeat after you uh, maybe one or two phrases you know from time to time i'm I'm not a fan of really making children perform all the time. You always want that communication experience to be pleasant because you want them to keep doing it. You want them to um, enjoy communicating. So see what you can do um, to prompt them to talk. I like to use video recorders and then let them listen back. Uh, Maybe have them sing a song and have them listen back. There's a really fun very inexpensive toy that I love it's just a microphone and it's really just a hollow piece of plastic but it it, it amplifies their voice and and that is always a fun way sometimes to get kids to be verbal because practice um, practice is really important um, so those are those are ideas that you can do um, general ideas, but there's also another set of things I'd like you to consider and that I want to share is about a queuing hierarchy. So that is um, ways that you can prompt your child in small steps so they can do more and more on their own. And um, ideally um, you want to give them just a tiny bit of help and see if they can do it. And if that's not enough, then you give them a little bit more help. And if that's not enough you give them even more. And so that's that's part of the hierarchy. Um, So I like to cue them, like I said, in those little steps. And one of the big things I see parents doing a lot is talking for their children sometimes. Um, So what I like to suggest is maybe after you ask them something, pause. Um, Silence really is not a bad thing. Silence can be really good, giving them time to formulate an answer, giving them time after they formulate that answer, they've got to put in a motor plan. They got to tell their articulators what to do: their tongue, their lips, etc. It's learning to talk is probably one of the most difficult things your child will ever ever do. The rate at which all these activities are happening is literally milliseconds at a time. So it does take a while. So that's why pausing and letting them talk is a good thing. Um, another thing to consider is that if you can't understand what your child is saying. Um, try and look at the context, so so you can then guess and maybe model or prompt them. So if you're in the kitchen and um, they are pointing up on the at the the cupboard where you keep the cookies and they're going oi oi oi, chances are they might be asking for a cookie. So look at the environment, look and see what they might be possibly saying and guess. Then you can. Um, then you can suggest, um, oh, do you want a banana or a cookie? Then you've modeled for them. You didn't answer them. You actually gave them a choice of two um, where they might then be able to take uh, your model of cookie and then repeat it a little more easily. Um, Another thing parents can do is we call close sentence format. And that's where you start the phrase but you let them finish. So, if they're pointing at the cookie jar, you say, oh, you want the... and then they might say cookie. If they don't say cookie, you can then give them what we call sound cues or phonemic cues. They're a little, you just give them the parts of the word. So, you might say, um, oh, you want the k," but don't say the full word cookie. You want the "cook." so then I gave them a little more but didn't say the full word, cookie. And if they're still not getting it, then you can give the whole model. Oh, you want the cookie. The cookie. Okay, here's a cookie. Um, So that's a way that you can use little sound cues um, as you go. So um, that's what I wanted to talk about, at least in speech and hearing development. I'm sorry, in speech and language development. And what this actually, I'm going to put on my website um, a handout that, corresponds with what I was just talking about today for this. And if you go to myspeechdoctor.com, that's myspeechdoctor.com, M-Y-S-P-E-E-C-H-D-O-C-T-O-R.com, you'll be able to find that there. I'll have it in the, um, you know what, I'll put it in the Kids A to Z section, and um what else? Um, yeah, so I'll have that there for you so um, you could always reference that too. What I want to talk about next, as I had mentioned earlier, is a study that um, talks about how babies practice speaking well, well before they start to actually say a word. And it, I got it from a, a blog I've mentioned before, Neuro, Neuronet Learning Blog, and they send Little updates of research that they've summarized, and we're going to talk about that. So, as I believe I mentioned earlier in the segment, um, this is a study done by Pat Cool and her colleagues that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2014. And they um, actually, the title of this of, of the science article was "Infants' Brain Responses to Speech Suggest Analysis by Synthesis." And so what they're, they really looked at is um, and found that, that babies are practicing um, speaking long before they're actually saying any words. And um, what, um, what they were talking about in their article is how talking to infants slowly and deliberately stimulates areas of their brain that um, are involved in coordinating and planning um, speech movements, the movements, the speech gestures you do to produce um, speech um, and in, in children who are 7 to 11 months of age, and the, the findings suggest that, uh, that babies' brains are really engaged when they are listening to us talk, and they're trying to figure out how to make the movements um, that are connected to the sounds that they're hearing. Now, um, most babies say their words, or most children say their words around their first words around twelve months of age, and they start to babble earlier um, around six to seven months of age and So um, what this research is really emphasizing is how important it is to be talking to babies during these earlier stages of development and What um, they did in this study is they looked at nearly sixty babies and they had them listen to a series of of syllables in their own language and in a foreign language. So the syllables might be like da or ta, and as the children were listening to these syllables, they recorded their, their brain activity. So they put the, the little ones in a, in a brain scanner, and it would just measures the really the electrical activity coming out of their brain as they listen, which is what happens. There's a, there is a firestorm of electric activity in our brains when we do anything. And so um, there's nothing to be alarmed of, it's very natural. So they had the babies in the scanner that would measure these responses as they listened to the two sounds. And as I said, it was in their native language of English, and they also used Spanish uh, for the foreign syllables. And um, they were looking specifically at what the brain was doing and levels, um, in levels the, in the part of the brain that processes auditory information, or so sort of sound information. And they were also looking at the areas of the brain that um, are responsible for motor control. Because as you know, speech is a motor, it's a physical act, it's it's a mov- an act of movement. So what the researchers found was that regardless of the language that they presented to the children, they saw brain activity, which suggests that, or indicates that, the babies are responsive to different types of speech sounds. Again, whether or not they've heard those particular sounds before. And then, what they also found was that as they were got to that older um, age range, by 11 to 12 months that babies showed actually an increase of motor activation for sounds that were not native. So there was more brain activity when they heard those Spanish sounds, which were not their native language sounds, relative to when they heard the English sounds. So more motor activity with the non-native sounds. And so the researchers believe what this indicates is that that there might be more effort for the brain to respond to those non-native sounds. So, in any event, what is suggested is that parents should talk to their infants from the get go from birth, and if you've listened in before, it's in my mind, really before birth because those children are responding to and perceiving sounds in utero in that third trimester so in any of, uh, so yes, in any event, um, talk to your children um, from the very beginning this is as um, this is really enhancing their brain potential and their brain power and it's going to help them with language and communication development. Um, some things that they suggest that we've mentioned before, reading stories, singing songs, and talking to them as you do all types of um, activities. And one of the other things that the researchers suggest is perhaps using speech that's A little bit slow and exaggerated. Not, I would say, not terribly, but just a little bit. Um, So, say one, two, three, things like that. Um, And those are actually examples that they had, and that might help the babies process and imitate some speech sounds. And actually. This segues nicely into some questions that um, i 've been sent about how you talk with your children um, and things you can do to help facilitate their communication development and One question regarded what people refer to as that baby talk um, sing, like sing songy tone uh, we call it in the field mother ease. And it's actually an important tool for parents to use, and even even siblings um, to talk with their baby brothers and sisters this way. And it's it's an exaggerated way of speaking, and we vary the rhythm of our speech and the intonation, and that helps chi- the child focus on what's important. It helps bring their attention to the words that um, we'd like them to attend to. So if if you think about what speech actually is, speech is one continuous stream of sounds. they run into each other it's it 's really a wave that is that is absolutely continuous, and the sounds run into one another and in order for the child to be able to pinpoint and focus on what 's important in this continuous stream these these behaviors of using different rhythm and intonation and um, and even loudness levels can be helpful for them to determine where word boundaries are. So that is where one word stops and another one starts. So um, so that's, that's a big part of what Mother Ease can help a child do, figure out where the word stops and starts in this continuous stream of, of running speech. And um, similar to this, I've had some questions about people talking about Um, a a relatively um, recent study that talked about touching and how that could help babies um, learn language more so than them just seeing um, what their parents are doing or their facial expressions as they talk. And I actually really think that that touching your baby as you talk with them really can help them. Um, Again, I think it can help them identify in that space that continuous speech stream where one word star- starts and another begins. And I like to give the example of body parts. And if you think about it, uh, body parts are among some of the earliest words that children learn first. And it's not surprising parents are with their children and they're touching them and they're often talking, you know, touching them on their arms and their on their forehead and et cetera as they're talking about it. So. If an adult, for example, touches the child's nose, as they say no, the child is receiving tactile feedback, so that feeling of touch. Tactile means touch. So as you're saying "nose" and you're touching their nose, they're not only hearing what you're saying, they're not only seeing your lips move, but they're feeling it on their skin and they're getting an impulse to their brain that's registering information. So that's the thought behind it, that it's this multi-sensory experience that's helping them pinpoint that target of nose um, that's mixed in with all these other sounds around it. Um, And so that's why I think um, this idea of touch um, is is meaningful. Yeah, because what the research is showing that um, the children don't learn the words the same way when the parent is just saying it so without the touch they're not learning it as, as readily so on that note um i'm going to say thank you for listening that's all of our show for today um, i've said before if you ever have questions that you'd like us to address uh, feel free to send us an email at info at kidsa to z dot com and we'll field your questions on the air And we will be generating more shows um, this week and as we go. So we hope you'll tune in. And thanks again. This is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. Bye now.